0: Ah! should really um get that checked out
2: cut me blowing my nose but but keep the yell keep the Uh, yell it sounded like a wounded elephant (laughs) i feel like a wounded (laughs) elephant the pollen count in oregon right now is unbelievable um i just went outside during the break between episode recordings and emptied a magazine from an ar-15 into a tree but it does not appear to have Solved the problem. So
3: now you gotta gotta get heavier than that, man. You gotta. Yeah, uh, I should have cool.
2: used the three hundred eight. You know, yep. that's why they went. Yeah, that's that's uh, why one, the army's upgraded, seven, upgraded seven, the caliber. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it, it, yeah. They you want to fuck trees. up a
2: tree? Yeah, you really want you you really want to move closer to that thirty caliber range?
3: Yep. Um, this episode's brought to you by six point eight Tree Killer <laughs> <laughs>
2: the End Buster. Yeah, that's three thirty eight Lapua baby.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah well, that'll fuck up you know, a sapling.
2: When I was a young man, times like this, right around near the end of the year my friends and I would go out into the woods and we would shoot down a tree in order to to have a bonfire around it. And um, that doesn't really relate to the subject of the episode, but we often smoked cigarettes while doing it. Not interesting. And it's kind of like shooting down a tree, isn't it?
3: Because if you're actively building your consumer base, it, it's a bit like shooting, shooting down a tree.
2: Yeah, you just yeah. have to hope that they can grow up faster than you can shoot them. Shoot them, um, yeah. So they say about race. I mean, and it's also what they say about the human race, because one thing you got to give it to us is we bred slightly faster than cigarettes were able to kill us. <laughs> yeah. Once again, a win for humanity. <sighs> yeah, a Titanic dub. So, cigarettes did not get to have their real moment in the sun until a few years after the dissolution of American Tobacco, which again the Supreme Court knocks it out in 1911. Probably. Somewhere under 10% of Amer- of smokers and a much smaller portion of the U.S. population um, actually smoked cigarettes. So a pretty small fraction of the U.S. adult population is smoking still. Even, even as successful as uh, our old buddy Duke was at getting people to smoke. Um, but the thing that's going to actually start to change this and, and really turn around cigarettes' fortunes is the First World War. Now, James... You've been in a trench? Uh yeah, I've been I've been in a couple of trenches. Uh, so for yeah. personal and professional reasons? Yeah, they're, they're the trenches are not the cleanest places in the world, especially if no. it's like raining and they're muddy. Uh you wouldn't want to have a pipe in a trench necessarily. Like you could smoke a pipe in a trench, but stuff's going to get in it. That's kind of gross, right? That's not ideal. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And when, you know, if you're doing trench stuff, you probably don't have time to sit down and really smoke a cigar. You know, they take a while. Cigarettes yeah. are it the... depends p- on what rank you're at, doesn't it? Once you... Right, right. If you're
3: sitting... Yeah. In- yeah. 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 You get up to the, uh, you know, the field grade offices. You're fine with they, a cigar.
2: They have plenty of time for cigars and they have mm-hmm. clean enough areas for cigarettes, uh, for, for pipes. But if you're a working man in the trenches, the, the best way you have to smoke in between getting murdered by german machine guns is a cigarette and that's that's really what causes a shitload of people to start adopting cigarettes that that's what actually makes it a mainstream thing is world war 1 now yeah. it goes sorry. well with death it does go well with death, James. Cigarette adoption had crept up only gradually prior to this, and, and it had been met by this a really active anti-smoking campaign the whole time. It's kind oh, of worth noting that the first 20 years of... of like the 20th century, basically from like the late 1890s to like 1917, 1918, there's a very active anti-smoking campaign in the United States. And it's powered by a lot of the same voices who are also fighting for prohibition. There were even bans on the public consumption of tobacco in some states. In 1910, a doctor named Charles Peace founded the Non-Smokers Protective League, advocating for a public smoking ban in America's largest city. In 1913, the New York Times published an op-ed Opposing the establishment of smoking cars in the subway. Now, these people we now know are right. You know, like cigarettes bad, public smoking bad. But they're not. They're not. Again, there's not strong evidence that proves cigarettes cause cancer at this point. There's not really good scientific studies at this point. These people are just busybodies, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, right.
3: They can be right for the wrong reasons.
2: Well, what are their arguments
3: that they well don't like it?
2: Yeah, let me let me tell you. Chief among the voices of small of non-smokers is our old friend of the pod, John Harvey Kellogg, America's Oh, come doctor. Good, yeah. Kellogg's complaint was, "quote yeah. Smoking has yeah. become so nearly yeah. universal among men that few <laughs> non-smokers are practically ignored <laughs> and their rights trampled upon." Now, that that means that, like, by being around cigarette smoke, you're having your rights trampled upon. And, yes, yeah. we now know secondhand yeah. smoke is seriously bad for you. Yeah. At the time we did it, and also, let's be honest here, 1917 walking around a city that's still filled with horse shit and now leaded <laughs> gasoline fumes from all of the cars rolling around and industrial smoke from all of the different fucking coal factories and stuff. Cigarettes are not your number one health risk.
3: Yeah. The thing number one trampling on your right side of 1917.
2: Yeah. So. yeah. It's, it's just height. not the biggest problem. Look, yeah. <laughs> John Harvey Kellogg. Yeah, well, he has give him problems. credit. Yeah. Do not give him credit for being on the right yeah. side of history with this one. Um, so non-smokers also, it was not, again, because there's not great, there are some of these people do, are ahead of their time and are saying like, hey, this stuff is, has to be bad for you. And we're going to figure out like the way in which it's killing people later. A lot of them are just angry because they think it's gross. And a huge chunk of them are angry because cigarettes are popular with women. Right? Because women start smoking. That's a big part yeah. of the anti-smoking campaign. In 1904, New York State passes a law that makes it a crime for women to quote, endanger the morals of children by smoking in their presence. A woman named Jenny Lasher was charged and sentenced to jail for violating it. In 1908, New York City aldermen passed an ordinance restricting public smoking by women from the Washington Post. <laughs> quote, the Sullivan ordinance made it illegal for restaurant and bar owners to permit women to smoke in their establishments. The stated rationale from Bowery moralist and political chieftain Tim Sullivan was that proper ladies were offended by women smoking, and it certainly wasn't any kind of attempt by a man to control women's behavior. Despite the ordinance's short duration, it lasted only two weeks. The sentiment underlying it was held by others as well. Women smoking was viewed by many as taboo, associated with what Amanda Amos and Margarita Haglund have termed loose and libidinous moral behavior. (laughs) So it is a good band name. Mm -hmm. And it's it's interesting, one of the things that cigarettes do is they make it, they are a big part of why it starts to become okay for men and women to socialize together. Who are unmarried, uh, right? In, in a lot of ways, so one of the things that is common prior to cigarettes becoming mainstream, after you have like a big dinner, if you if you have a fancy it, potty, then a- after dinner, the men will go to smoke cigars, and the women will you know go clean up or something. And, and increasingly in the early 20s what starts or in the early 19, uh, 1900s, what starts to happen is after dinner, Everybody has a cigarette. And women didn't smoke cigars, but cigarettes are new. And so it's not really that weird to a lot of modern people that women would smoke them. And also, there's not women's cigarettes. So everyone's smoking the same cigarettes. And increasingly, they start doing it in the same places together. Unmarried men and women just hanging out and having a smoke and talking. This is a big part of... This is kind of in the background of the of the suffrage movement, but it, like cigarettes yeah. do play a significant role in the increasing acceptance of of social equality for women because men and women yeah. spend time together to smoke. Yeah, it makes not an on factor. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely um, a
3: time period when there's generally this change in gender roles, right? With women working in the First World War and,
2: and like, well, that's thing. yeah, that's another part of it, right? Is like. Yeah women are taking on men's jobs, why wouldn't they be able to smoke and you know? It's a it's a whole thing. So, yeah. smokers also started to organize to establish more public smoking places. Tobacco dealers would often back and fund local efforts to lobby for smoking cars on trains or to allow the smoking of cigarettes on the rear pa- platform of streetcars. Within the military, there were strenuous debates as to whether or not tobacco should be legal for soldiers. In 1907, the Surgeon General <laughs> of the Navy had recommended that sailors under 21 be banned from smoking cigarettes. This was outrageous to the actual men <laughs> of the Navy. Navy and one enlisted <laughs> uh, man wrote this in response. If this cigarette recommendation is made the rule and such a thing is ordered, it's going to put all us young fellows who like them on the beam. It's all right to talk about your cigars and your pipes, but cigarettes are cigarettes. And when, and when you once get to liking the little sticks, there's nothing that can take their place. Then don't forget that life on the ocean with none of your women, folks or girlfriends around to break the monotony is a lot different from life ashore. And I tell you, those dream sticks help you pass away many a dreary <laughs> and homestick hour. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, just amazing. a bunch of navy boys no women around sucking down uh, dream sticks
3: dream sticks yeah direct quote from joe biden's speech about uh,
2: pardoning people with marijuana <laughs> what people for dream sticks yeah. in an unrelated note i saw a picture of joe biden with a quantum computer the other day and it just struck me as the most wrong thing it's like looking at winston <laughs> churchill with a game boy like no those aren't supposed to be in the same photograph <laughs> joe biden should never have lived to yeah. see
3: a quantum computer. Yeah. It's like seeing a Diplodocus or a Tamagotchi hanging out. It's, yeah. You don't, yeah. expect it.
2: No, that's not yeah. okay. No. That's no. not okay. Um, so opposition to cigarettes in the military disappeared overnight once the United States got into World War I. Much of this had to do with Black Jack Pershing, the leader of the American Expeditionary Force, who when asked what Americans could do to support their soldiers going overseas, gave this reply. You ask me what we need to win this war. I answer tobacco, as much as
3: bullets. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great. It's so true. Uh, It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we've spoken about this before, but the universal truth of conflict journalism, Mm -hmm. if you need something and you're not sure that someone's going to give it to you, you can probably get it by giving someone enough cigarettes.
2: I keep packs on me every time I'm anywhere near, because like, and it's not always just getting something. Some of it is... Like, you meet people, and they're standoffish because, like, I don't know, they're fucking soldiers in a war zone whose daily life involves dealing with horrible trauma, and they don't know you. And then you, like, bust out some Marlboros, and you sit and smoke for, like, 20 minutes together, and then they just start talking, you know? Like, that's a thing. They're useful. They work. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. they're a great tool for journalism. Well, they're also, in in terms of how they're being used that's not unhealthy by the military, because cigarettes... Spoilers, make you worse at everything that is important for soldiers. Almost everything, right? Uh, Today, U.S. soldiers who smoke score an average of 35 points lower on PT tests. Cigarette smoking harms your night vision. Like, it's bad for your performance. Yes, they are bad for your performance in combat. In addition to, like, people get shot smoking cigarettes, Cypress see the Cherries, right? (laughs) That happens for sure. But one thing they do is they are a stress reliever. And we can debate in the long term, it's not a great coping strategy. But if your daily job is to get shot at repeatedly, yeah. you don't care about the long term. You just no. want like a moment where things feel okay. Yeah, there is
3: not a long term for a lot of people in World War no, One.
2: No, no, for- no, especially not. And the other thing that they do is, as we just talked about, people bond while smoking. It's a part of why men and women it's a way in which men and women start to bond socially in a way they had not in a long time in Western society and soldiers in the trenches bond sharing smokes. It is a thing that you do with each other and you can't, number one, this is a thing I don't think the tobacco industry could have anticipated because it's just a very human thing. And it's also, you can't fight this. Like there's not, there's nothing to do about it. It's just a thing that people have adopted for themselves in a difficult time. Um, and so this is a this is a problem for the anti-smoking people. Um, obviously, smoking again very bad uh, for everything else that makes you be a soldier. But soldiers are not thinking about that in the times when they're smoking them. Uh, and in a lot of military planners' cases, like they're also. It's hard to argue, even though you've got people who are in the medical profession for the military being like, these probably aren't good for people. It's hard to argue that like a guy who you're asking to run in a machine gun nest doesn't deserve to have like a cigarette. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, if you know America, you know that love for our military is basically the not-so-secret control level lever for the American mind. So cigarettes had been controversial prior to World War I, but once we start sending men in the oh, field and Pershing's yeah. like, we need cigarettes organizations that had previously lobbied nationwide for smoking bans like the ymca prior to world war one the ymca is a massive part of trying to ban public smoking okay. as soon as the war starts they start shipping pallets of cigarettes to the battlefields
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, it's great yeah. it's been a truth for so long you can just put the uh put the support the troops stank yeah. on anything and people yeah. will love
2: it here it's, it's interesting. In The Cigarette Century, Alan Brandt writes, Volunteers organized smoke funds to collect donations <laughs> to assure that the troops had adequate uh, supplies of cigarettes. The Sun Fund amassed 137 million cigarettes in a two-month period. <laughs> Tobacco may not be a necessity of life in the ordinary sense of the term, explained the New York Times, but it certainly lightens the inevitable hardships of war as nothing else can do. <laughs> the National Cigarette Service Committee collected the names of soldiers without families to make sure they received cigarettes. <laughs> Volunteers prepared packages for shipment to the troops under the auspices of groups, such as the Army Girls Transport Tobacco Fund. Just so that's, great. That's sweet. Um, you know, yeah. I'm, yeah,
3: amazing. I'm sure these people like were also like, dying of trench foot and would have really appreciated like, a new pair of
2: socks. Yeah, socks probably also would have gone over well. Yeah, coat. I don't know. I mean, I I assume the military was already attempting to provide those things. Like, it is new that you would provide cigarettes as the military. Yeah. So, in the early days of the war, uh, the U.S. war effort, I should say, the fact that most aid organizations in Europe provided uh, cigarettes to soldiers for a fee, often substantial, regularly made the news back home. Soldiers are like, we're paying as much for a cigarette at the front as we have to pay back at home. Like... That's kind of fucked up. Now, donated cigarettes were only able to solve a small portion of this problem. One hundred and thirty-nine million cigarettes is not a lot. Um, if you if you know anything about cigarettes, that's not very many. <laughs> Sounds like a lot. It is not. Um, a fucking army in the field will smoke through one hundred and thirty-nine million cigarettes qu- quicker than they'll go through that many bullets. <laughs> Yeah, that is true. <laughs> uh, donated cigarettes uh, only, yes, yeah, solved a small number of the problems. So the War Department had to make the decision to issue tobacco rations to soldiers starting in May of 1918. The New York Times wrote of the decision, quote, a wave of joy swept through the American, <laughs> American army today. Uh, great. So, and let them have it. War fever means a temporary end to the anti-smoking movement uh many men who had hated cigarettes prior to the war had become addicts while overseas right they they you know yeah. they they're they're big hygiene guys before and then they get shot at and they have a smoke in the fucking trench with their buddy and then you know f- for the rest of their lives they think kindly of cigarettes
3: yeah
2: um and also the fact that the cigarette is now associated with the hard-bitten trench fighter means that you can't attack the moral character of smokers the anti-smoking <laughs> movement they're only smoked by criminals and 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 not white people right and now they're like a they're, they're part of the icon of the heroic soldier, right? right? Yeah. So in, in 1900, again, barely 5% of the country smoked, or like 1904, something like that. By 1940, and, and again, sorry, by li- in like the start of the 1900s, about 5% of the country who smokes tobacco smokes, right? Yeah. By 1940, 40% of the United States adult population smokes on a daily basis. Whoa. Yeah. It is is a huge increase. Yeah, that is crazy. Wow. Average per consumer consumption escalated to in 1900 Americans consumed about 54 cigarettes per person per year, right? Okay. That's the average for the whole population. In 1963, Americans consumed 4300 cigarettes per Jesus year. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was not expecting that? That is so many cigarettes. And yeah,
3: 4300 per mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. That's
2: quite a few cigarettes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're really upping the intake there. So no, they're, they're going to get through those Pokemon card collections now. Oh yeah, no, no. A lot of kids are getting a lot of baseball cards. Yep. Um, you know th- those numbers are drive driven up by all of the the eleven year old smoking twelve thousand <laughs> cigarettes, <laughs> yeah. in smoking
3: four cigarettes at once,
2: <laughs> just burning <laughs> through an entire carton in a day. Yeah. Uh, So, this new wave of smokers brought with it changes in American smoking habits, largely driven by R.J. Reynolds, president of the Reynolds Tobacco Company. Richard Joshua Reynolds had been born on July 20th, 1850, in Patrick County, Virginia. His father was a tobacco farmer, and as a young man, Reynolds worked for his dad's plantation, which absolutely included a fuckload of enslaved people. R.J. was just 15 when the Civil War ended, bringing with it the first tiny surge in cigarette usage. He quickly fell in love with the things, and he turned his father's company into an industry-leading producer. And R.J. Reynolds is different from Duke in that... Duke, when he smokes, smokes cigars, right? He wants to sell cigarettes. He thinks they're a good business. He doesn't understand them, right? He understands how to get people to want to buy something. He's a good marketer. He doesn't really get what people like in a cigarette. There is nothing that R.J. Reynolds loves more than cigarettes. This man, like you have never loved a a human being in your life the way (laughs) this man loves the concept of a cigarette. Uh, He is is such a cigarette lover that he attempts to avoid getting into Duke's to Tobacco trust, right? He has his own way he wants to do things. He doesn't want to get involved in this trust. He wants to sell his cigarettes the way he wants to he actually gets forced by Duke into the trust because Duke uses shady methods to buy two thirds of Reynolds tobacco stock to force the company into American tobacco. And despite this, RJ Reynolds refuses to work with Duke and he even secretly helps the U S government build an antitrust case against American (laughs) tobacco. When the Supreme court broke the trust, Reynolds had one goal to fuck over Buck Duke and his company in 1913. He created a new cigarette, which featured a mix of American and Turkish tobacco to create a a blended cigarette. He called this new cigarette the Camel.
3: Oh, there it is. Camel cigarette.
2: Why did he choose Camel? Because it's Turkish tobacco. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah, yeah. You know, turkey, camels, two yeah. things that are yeah, fam- famous. constantly associated with each <laughs> yeah. other. Just imagine uh, how much
3: better it would be if he just called it the turkey.
2: The turkey, right. Yeah, because yes,
3: angry Turkish nationalists love uh, mm-hmm. love the fact that those two things are sort of, uh, they sound the no, same, he, but they mean he, different He things.
2: should have called it the Greek and then had just a drawing of the Anatolian Peninsula on it. <laughs> 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 They'd be banned there to this day.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, there would have been more wars in 20th century Europe.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm going to quote now from the Cigarette Century. To help distinguish it from its competition, Reynolds offered no promotions. Smokers realize that the value is in the cigarettes and do not expect promotions or coupons, he explained. Against Duke's earlier advertising devoted to these now traditional promotional devices, Reynolds went modern. Reynolds committed unprecedented advertising money to promote this single product, creating a national campaign to make the Camel cigarette a truly national brand. In 1914, newspapers throughout the country ran ads several days in succession that announced simply, The Camels are coming they were followed by a second wave of ads proclaiming tomorrow there will be more in this town than all of asia and africa combined creating such expectations and their fulfillment would become a central technique of modern consumer advertising the third ad portraying the camel cigarette package read camel cigarettes are here this advertising campaign and here the term campaign appropriately reflects the strategic technique met with unprecedented success look
3: at that yeah yeah smart man yeah, it is like an iconic brand, like okay? cigarettes, like. I know there are many brands that seem to like be as iconic as
2: cigarette brands and it's global. And yeah. And this is the start of that part of it, right? Because cigarettes have started to go viral in this, but not necessarily on a brand basis, right? Right. You do have kind of some of these early brands, but they all like every tobacco company has a bunch of different brands and they sell different ones in different regions. Yeah. Reynolds is the first guy to be like, "No, no, not only do I want my company to be the biggest, I want this one specific kind of cigarette to be everywhere. Yeah. So, when World War I ended, camel accounted for more than 30% of the U.S. cigarette market. Camels came into vogue just as a new generation of female smokers came onto the scene. These women had traditionally taken taken male jobs for men who'd left to fight, and after helping to save the U.S. economy, they didn't take well to the argument that them enjoying a smoke was some sort of sin against femininity. From the Washington Post cigarette advertising companies which at the time primarily employed male advertising executives quickly co-opted the ideas of independence that women began to assert at the polls and in the workplace they targeted women conveying the notions that women who smoked were independent attractive and even athletic lucky strikes 1925 marketing pitch to women told them to reach for a lucky instead of a sweet the message smoke and you'll be thin
3: oh great there it is
2: yeah it's pretty fun yeah yeah. wondered how long that would take and this is number one. Uh, one thing that starts to happen in this is a whole new generation of extremely skinny female models starts to become popular because of this Lucky Strike ad campaign. They oh, help wow. to create like that that whole Great. thing, that whole trend. Yeah, yeah, distorted yeah,
3: like uh, of body image.
2: Thanks now for this. That. Cr- there's a backlash to this, and there's kind of a war between cigarettes and the candy industry. Um, and it's it's very funny. One of the cigarettes that will come on the market at this time, I think it might be Marlboro's, Uh, their advertising campaign is to like push back at Camel by being like, "No, cigarettes and candy are both good for you. You should have your cigarette and your chocolate. They're a healthy treat." (laughs) (laughs) Um, but no, the candy industry has to be like, "The fuck are you saying about people not eating candy? Come on, (laughs) we're not trying to shit on cigarettes here."
3: (laughs) Yeah, they're just too nice. Winnie Wonka (laughs) can't bring himself. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's just when they start making candy cigarettes and really well own. yeah this
2: is th- that and in this period one of the interesting things about candy cigarettes when they first get made they're all made with the brands of real cigarettes so there'll be oh, wow. camels now not legally they're all illegal they're all oh, candy companies using a brand illegally the cigarette industry makes a concerted decision to never pursue charges over it to never go after really? them because they're like well if kids get used to picking up a pack of camels, that's a win for us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's no downside to us letting them do this.
3: Yeah. It's a win for everyone. Great.
2: Yeah. Now, one thing that does happen in the post-war period is that female smokers are an easier target for anti-smoking advocates than soldiers who are, you know, heroic and stuff. When the 18th Amendment gets passed banning the sale of alcohol, moral crusaders like evangelist Billy Sunday turned their attention to tobacco, saying in one speech, Prohibition is won! Now for tobacco! The Women's Christian Temperance Union issued a pamphlet titled Smoking Next! The first success in this wave of the anti-smoking movement... came in Utah, which banned the sale, giving away, or other exchange of cigarettes. The bill's advocates included the WCTU and and the Mormon Church, both of which emphasized the moral risks of letting women be seen smoking. Senator Edward Southwick, who wrote the bill, quoted U.S. Surgeon General Hugh Cumming, which was his real name, <laughs> uh, as saying, if American women generally contract the habit, as reports now indicate they are doing, the entire American nation will suffer. The physical tone of the whole nation will be low this is one of the most evil influences in American life today. The habit harms a woman more than it does a man. <laughs>
3: great, thanks, you.
2: Yeah, glad you coming. A wonderful
3: name and intellect. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Real, yeah. real smart guy. Real cummer. Uh, Hugh.
3: Yeah. <laughs> there were other names he could have been cursed with, which could have been, his first name could have been worse. But
2: yeah, yeah. But there we no, are. But you know what will make you come, James? Um, please enlighten me. The sponsors of our podcasts. Not their products, which no. are asexual, but mm-hmm. the actual people who run and own right. stock in the companies. Okay. Anytime you ask for it. Oh, that's good to know. That's that's a promise. Yeah, I'll put that in
3: the old context book. Mm-hmm.
2: Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just $15 a month, go to mintmobile.com behind. That's mintmobile.com behind. Cut your wireless bill to $15 a month at mintmobile.com behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan, additional. Taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
0: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. just
1: being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor
2: Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Ah, we're back. We're talking about come... You know every time i talk about cum on this show somebody gets up in the subreddit and they're like i wish they wouldn't make juvenile jokes about cum it's not very funny
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's exceptionally funny to make juvenile I, jokes yeah about look cum. <laughs> i am
2: never gonna stop making co- jokes about cum and i'm never gonna yeah, stop telling yeah. people that when mitch mcconnell yeah, yeah. comes all that exits his penis is a mix of dry scabs and spider legs
3: <laughs> that that while well, not juvenile is still funny it is. It's funny it, and yeah, true, it's, James. Exceptionally funny. Yeah,
2: it's true. And
3: uh, he can sue us over it. We'll take him to court. Mm-hmm. Show us.
2: Show us the evidence, Mitch. Yeah. Show us the evidence, Mitch. Show us the evidence that when you come, the dry scabs exiting your urethra don't make a sound exactly like crabs scuttling on a <laughs> soapstone bed. Prove it to me. Prove it to me, Mitch. I'm now physically unwell. <laughs> Would you like a cigarette? (laughs)
3: Yeah.
2: I think I've been traumatized on a level that's similar to to some tobacco. I'd like to shorten my life. Yes. Well, why don't you reach for a lucky instead of a sweet? Uh, That will help me stay, uh, maintain my girlish physique. So. As we've just come back, uh, the Surgeon General has been like, this is going to lower the moral tone of women. And again, I, I just so that I'm not <laughs> mistaken, coming. cigarettes are bad. Don't smoke them. These people are technically in the right, but they're in the right for the wrong reasons, yeah. usually. So fuck them. Um, I'm going to quote again from Alan Brandt here. Another supporter of the legislation noted that the fingers of our girls are being varnished with the stains of those harmful little instruments of destruction. Just as earlier mean. opponents of the cigarette had done, Senator Southwick argued that the use of the cigarette violated the liberties of non-smokers, which is fair, offended moral sensibilities, which is unfair, and polluted public space, which is we'll call that one mixed. <laughs> we cannot bring our wives and daughters to the city, he wrote, and cannot come along without encountering tobacco smoke everywhere, as it that saturates our clothing and nauseates us. Personal liberty, ours is as inviolate, or is as sh- or should be as theirs. Amazing, like at yeah. a
3: time when like industry is ripping children's arms off their bodies. Oh yeah, like, no, and
2: people are just burning pure petroleum jelly in the back of a fucking model T. Uh,
3: yeah, yeah, just pouring some lead into the reserve lead tank.
2: Yeah, ex- again. It, fucking nineteen twenty-two. Your your worst encounter is not going to be with tobacco smoke in the streets <laughs> yeah. of a city.
3: The, the coal burning colonialism factory isn't a problem. It's women smoking that we need to yeah. worry about.
2: Now. By 1922, 16 states had banned or restricted cigarette sales and promotion, but none of these restrictions lasted long. The disaster that was Prohibition and the growing number of tobacco addicts made the anti-smoking cause untenable. A chief issue with the fight to restrict smoking was the fact that it rested mostly on moral panic grounds, right? Again if all of these people are saying smoking is horrible for your health and so we shouldn't be doing it, that's one thing. But a lot of them are being like, well, women shouldn't be smoking. It's bad for kids to see it. It's going to stain their hands. They don't have, at this point they don't have widely agreed upon medical evidence that smoking is bad for you. And in fact, a lot of doctors will argue that smoking is, if not healthy, then not a serious harm. It, it was not as common in this period for to have doctors be like, smoking clears your lungs. But most of them tended to be like, well, it's not that bad for you, right? It's like, you know, it's like, it is like it is like eating candy, right? That's That's what they, yes, it's not yeah. like eating candy. Please, I'm not saying that someone's <laughs> gonna get really angry at me. I'm just saying, <laughs> if you're a doctor in the 20s, odds are rather than saying smoking is bad for you you're saying like well it's probably okay to have the occasional cigarette as part of a balanced diet or whatever you know (laughs) right and again, doctors are heavily debating as the 30s dawn whether or not smoking causes cancer. There were studies by this point that showed a correlation between self-reported smoking habits and lung cancer. And by the 1920s, rates of lung cancer had started to soar. Given all of this, it might seem easy to prove a link between cigarettes and lung cancer, but it's not. All, all you've got in the 20s is is that there's a correlation between the two. But obviously, cigarettes aren't the only thing that's been introduced right. to modern life in in the early part of the 20th century, right? There's cars now, suddenly. People are getting a whole bunch of different medications that didn't used to exist. All sorts of shit is around that just wasn't before. So, how do you know? How do you know? Think about this. How can you prove, if you're just a dude in 1920 fucking 2, that the thing causing lung cancer in your friends is the cigarette and not the car or the fucking fluorescent light bulbs right like right. you don't know there's not there's not evidence at this point you know Yeah, they're Um, just part of this industrial
3: modernity. uh, Yeah,
2: a lot has changed really quickly. Um, And there's actually, there's some surprisingly logical reasons to question the early science. One doctor and critic over fears of cigarette use, one of the guys who's arguing against the people saying that lung cancer and smoking are are correlated. One of the things he says is that like, well, when we get lung cancer patients, they have a lung in one, they have a tumor in one lung or the other. Very few of them have tumors in both lungs. But when you smoke, the smoke is drawn into both lungs equally. So if smoking is causing lung cancer, why wouldn't it be causing it in both lungs at the same time? Obviously, we know that that's just the way cancer works, right? But again, based on the knowledge at the time, that's not a bad point to make, right? He's wrong, but you can see how a person who is not like in the pocket of big tobacco could make that mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his reasoning is not inherently unsound, right? He's wrong, right. but, but not because he's like, again, later, all the scientists on the other side of this will be doing something fundamentally dishonest. These are just people trying to understand the human body in a period in which we don't have that much information yeah. about it. Um Other scientists would argue that the rise in lung cancer was attributed to the fact that life expectancy had risen a lot in the first quarter of the 20th century. People were getting more weird cancers, they argued, because people were living longer. Maybe lung cancer has always been normal once you hit a certain age, and we just didn't have that many people reaching it, you know? Yeah, makes Um, sense. Again, these are not inherently illogical arguments. Now, there were, however, doctors early on who were who figured out what was happening, who knew and who put together that there was a a link between smoking and lung cancer, but it took data a long time to catch up with that. For one thing, epidemiology is in its infancy in this period of time. The first small batch studies, and by the late 20s, we have studies that show a correlation between smoking and lung cancer, but there's no control group. So all they show it, so there's no yeah. group of people yeah. who don't smoke to see what their yeah. lung cancer rates are because right. that's not a normal part of medical science yet. They're starting to do that. They're figuring out like, oh yeah, you should have fucking control groups in your medical <laughs> studies. Yeah. But it's not the thing that you just do de rigueur at this point in time. It becomes at par- it part partly as a result of this research. And in fact, there's a 1928 article in the New England Journal of Medicine in which this uh, that points out like... Um, It it shows a link between smoking and lung cancer, but it also points out that their study and other similar studies are of little value without similar studies on individuals without cancer, without control groups, right? So part of why that becomes more common in this period is scientists trying to figure out if there's a link between smoking and lung cancer. The scientists who write that 1928 study, Herbert Lombard and Carl During, carried out their own small 200-person study with a control group. And this is the first good quality study we have that shows lung cancer is, it shows a bunch of things. Number one, I, I shouldn't say shows. It suggests a bunch of things. Number one, it suggests that lung cancer is not a contagious disease, which, how would you have known that, you know, without scientific yeah, yeah. data? You don't know that people aren't giving it to each other, right? That right. it's not some weird thing that people got when they started walking in the Amazon or whatever, right? How would you know? Um, they know, they fi- they, or at least the data suggests that it's also there's not a correlation between lung cancer and low quality housing which was another thing people didn't know is it something about the way we insulate our homes you know uh they also find out that it's not associated with constipation which was a thing that some doc and again we can laugh about that but how would you know if you didn't do the study yeah right right. yeah um one of the the primary like damning thing the study finds is that self-reported heavy smokers are 27 percent likelier to get lung cancer this is the first scientifically solid evidence linking cigarettes to lung cancer now 200 person study with a 200 person control group that's not definitive right that's enough to justify further research sure but that's not a huge study the 1930s are where we're going to see the first attempts on a large scale to document the relationship between cigarettes and cancer the impetus to this the impetus for this research actually comes from one of the few industries that can rival big tobacco for sheer evil the insurance industry (laughs) they are the people who are going to because they see this early research and they're like wait a second we're paying a shitload of money out on all these Dying die in a lung cancer. If cigarettes cause it, we need to be charging people more if they smoke, right? Like <laughs> they're doing it for evil reasons, yes, but yeah. it is important research. King Kong um, versus Godzilla ex- Exactly. So one of the chief drivers of this is a guy named Frederick Hoffman, who is a statistician stud- at Prudential. And Hoffman notices in 1931 that a lot of fucking life insurance policies are being filled for dead lung cancer patients. If smoking was the cause, then again, you're gonna need to restructure the way premiums work. A lot of money is at stake, which is obviously what interests Prudential. They don't care about the cost of human life. So the thing that Hoffman notices is that in 1915, the lung cancer rate stands at about 0.7 people per 1,000 people, right? About 0.7 people per every 1,000 in the population are likely to get lung cancer. By 1920, it's risen to 1.1 per 1,000, it's 1.6 per 1,000 by 1924, and 1.9 per 1,000 by 1928. That means in 13 years, the rate of lung cancer has nearly tripled. Now, Hoffman is not bound by the ethical constraints of a doctor, right? He doesn't have to wait until he has really good data to be like smoking causes lung cancer. He sees this. He puts two and two together, and he becomes the first prominent pig figure to publish a claim that tobacco use is associated with a heightened rate of cancer and early death. And he's doing it again to warn insurance companies. A new wave of studies follows, and as the 1930s gives away to the 40s, the tobacco industry keeps a worried, watchful eye on this emerging science. They also start exploding their advertising budgets in order to kind of make up for the increasing talk in the background about maybe cigarettes aren't so great to, for us. In 1911, prior to the bust of the American Tobacco Trust, the entire cigarette industry profited about $13 million a year. By 1918, the Big Five tobacco companies were spending more than $13 million every year just in ads. In doing so, they'd helped create the very language of American culture. And I'm going to quote from a write-up in the Journal of Marketing Theory and Practice by Richard Pole. Cigarette sellers were among the most enthusiastic pioneers in the use of network broadcasting for coast-to-coast advertising. By 1930, American Tobacco, Brown & Williamson, P. Lorillard, and R.J. Reynolds were all buying network radio time. There has been no greater enthusiast for radio broadcast advertising than George W. Hill of the ATC, whose business for the first five months of 1930 surpassed all records. The company sponsors the Lucky Strike Dance Orchestra in three-hour broadcasts each week. Lucky Strike sponsored many radio comedies in musical shows, such as Jack Benny and the K. Kayser College of Music no- Musical Knowledge, and the best-known and longest-running popular musical shows, Lucky Strike's Hit Parade. This show started in 1928 and ran into the 1950s on television. It featured teen idol Frank Sinatra when he was launching his career. So popular was this show in 1938 that a sweepstakes promotion offering free cartons of Luckies for the names of the three most popular tunes drew nearly 7 million entries per week. Wow. The Lucky Strike Hit Parade was the first show to rank popular music releases on an ongoing basis. This is where we get the top 40. The entire structure of the musical industry comes out of Lucky Strike's hit parade. Right, so, then, yeah,
3: yeah. so they gave us all those crappy Christmas number one singles. And it seems like podcasts, more or less. Yeah, And podcasts! We yeah. all
2: owe a debt to Lucky Strike!
3: Uh, yeah, every time uh, you mm-hmm. read a dick, dick pill advert, just think yeah. of Lucky, mm-hmm. well, wow, in more ways than one, actually. Look, that's an
2: unfortunate listen, some, let's, <sighs> let's all give the good folks at Lucky Strike a solid. Go out and pick out a pop, pack right now. You don't have to smoke it. Give it to a kid. You know, they love to smoke. Mm. Um yep. Sophie, what?
0: <laughs> I, I, I'm,
2: I'm done with my script. I'm, I'm throwing to ads now. I'm throwing the ads like the good men at R.J. Reynolds and Lorillard and the other greats of the tobacco industry taught me to, Sophie. I'm 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 honoring our ancestors. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play.
0: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
1: Focus Features presents Back to Black.
0: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
1: Experience the music and her story.
0: Know like this, I ain't no spy girl.
1: Like never before. That's
0: my daughter. That's my Amy.
1: The big screen. I
0: want to be remembered for just being
1: me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th.
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We've all got a lot going on right now, especially this year. A lot of stress, different stresses, big things, small things, medium things, family things, friend things, loved one things, just, you know, things. And when we keep those things bottled up, they can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a good way to get those things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy's helped me learn positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. And therapy can empower you to be, you know, a better or at least happier version of yourself. It's not just for people who have experienced trauma or who are dealing with something immediate and serious. It can just be a way to kind of perform maintenance on your own person. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com behind today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash behind. We're back. Yep. So, we all had a cigarette and we're ready to go <laughs> Cigarettes have now just invented The modern music industry <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> The lunatics taken over the asylum now so James,
0: yeah. do not encourage his have taken behavior
3: over mm-hmm. They the had a couple of lucky strikes they, uh, they felt better and they took section. over the asylum
2: Yeah, oh. that's that is a lucky strike if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the n- need to capture smokers young, because market research had shown that people tended to be brand loyal, also helped to create the modern conception of ad demographics, right? Advertisers start learning how to differentiate and split and go through, you know, the idea that like the 18 to 35 males is like the most valuable yeah. ad, that comes out here, right? Oh, wow. And it's yeah. because like those yeah. are w- that's when you got to get them fuckers smoking, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Earlier if possible. Yeah. Yeah. 11 um, to 18 is really the key. Ideally, uh, like 11 yeah. or 12. The yeah. advertise a lot in colleges and they also it leads tobacco companies to steer more and more towards funding children's entertainment this starts Great. with the comics pages a syndicated weekly pop collection called puck is like massive for cigarette ads but as pole writes it quickly expanded beyond that quote in the 1950s, many brands used cra- cartoon trade characters in their advertising. The ads on Lucky Strikes Hit Parade for a while featured a cute animated character called Scoop, who through the then impressive technical feat of superimposition appeared on a sh- on-screen on with the show's star, Dorothy Collins. So, that's where we get who framed Roger Rabbit motherfuckers. Cigarettes right. taught us how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> great. They gave us Avatar Philip Morris's U.S. Car- Philip Morris's cartoons when advertising on I love Philip Morris used cartoons when advertising on I Love Lucy. Lorelard created TV cartoon ads for Old Gold that featured the voices of their Honeymooners stars Jackie Gleason and Art Carney. This presaged the Winston spots that employed the animated hit characters from The Flintstones, a totally cartoon show they sponsored, whose voices structure and sense of humor all imitated the Honeymooners, and. I think a lot of people are vaguely aware that the, the Flintstones used to have cigarette ads. You knew that, right? No. I think oh, so. that's why it was created. The Flintstones Amazing. were made as a cigarette yeah. ad. Uh, and, and to get an idea for how blatant this advertising was, you need to see some old episodes of the Flintstones. And I think this okay. one includes a representative scene. Right. You should know to understand what's happening on the screen. Right at the start of this, we see Fred and Barney kind of like hanging out in the yard on their asses Mm -hmm. while their wives are doing like yard work and house chores so they're like chilling out watching their wives work right good stuff they
1: sure work hard don't they (laughs) buddy yeah i hate to see them work so hard yeah me too and let's go around back when we can't see them gee we ought to do something fred Okay. How's about taking a nap? Hey, I got a better idea. Let's take a Winston break. That's it. Winston the one filter cigarette that delivers flavor 20 times a pack. Winston's got that filter blend. Yeah, uh. Filter blend makes the big taste difference, and only Winston has it up front where it counts. Here, ahead of the pure white filter. Winston packs rich tobacco specially selected and specially processed for good flavor and filter smoke.
3: (laughs) They're still going.
1: Winston tastes good like a
2: cigarette churn oh yeah that is a
3: lot of cigarette advertising yeah Yeah, i was at first i was appalled by the directness of it but then just the duration of it yeah wow they they really were committed to selling kids cigarettes yeah 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 winston also not a great name compared to like camel no no camel Marlboro.
2: yeah, yeah just
3: a dude called winston with little imagination yeah uh you know, wow that was Shameful. amazing just, yeah it's, it's, it's the like, best yeah that is like alex jones tier just transition <laughs> yeah. from content
2: to ads <laughs> fucking barney rubble wants to get your ass into a pack of winston's yeah it's
3: going to be doing what is it fucking silver or whatever alex jones is trying to sell you now like Yeah, colloidal
2: sea- silver yes yeah. to see base that you can shoot up your ass i don't know
3: yeah yeah nor do i care don't I don't think our listenership overlaps, so no one else knows either,
2: so it's fine. No, our listeners are buying a lot of gold now because of those gold ads running. Oh yeah, well that's good. It's been a success. We we'll have to get them back for yeah. the next season. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, we love we love the gold ad people. You know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna do a free ad right now. Buy gold. It's the cigarettes of currency. Well, actually, mm-hmm. that's cigarettes. Gold's almost yeah. as valuable as cigarettes in a pinch. So pick yeah. some up today. Smoke it. Why don't you? You know what, James? Oh, I have it'd be an amazing. idea. Why don't we make a lot of money? We mm-hmm. get cigarettes, grind up gold into them, pour gold flakes into the cigarettes, and then sell them to rich assholes who have TikToks. Uh, yeah, it's definitely
3: there's like a thing. Isn't there like a vodka or something that has gold yeah, oh, flakes yeah. In it? The, Oh yeah, there's a couple yeah. of
2: liquors that have uh, it. Uh,
3: yeah, you may yes. perceive it as unnecessary, Sophie, but I need to signal. So that many, I have so many
0: gold, income. gold unnecessary gold uh, things so in, so in food. You know right? how there's.
2: You know yeah, what is I necessary, get my gold whiskey. Robert? Getting back <laughs> yeah, get, to the script. Pour out some gold liquor and uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, I'm back. Wrap That's a cigarette in gold foil. Yeah.
3: There was no gold, but uh, I, I've got my glass of lead vodka <laughs> here, and I'm good. To- <laughs> Yeah,
2: so, during yeah. the late 40s to the early 50s, the science coming out about cigarettes and cancer starts to look worse and worse. The RJ Reynolds Company launches a new campaign for Camel cigarettes in 1946, centered around the slogan "More doctors smoke Camels than any other cigarette." Yo, for the next good. six years, this is like this is their main advertising push uh, for six the years. The dentist and toothbrush
3: thing with cigarettes—amazing, great. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yes, the cigarette that 9 out of 10 doctors recommend. Reynolds backs up their claim that more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette with surveys that they said had been conducted by, quote, three leading independent research organizations. Now, they don't name these organizations. One representative ad claims that a survey of 113,597 doctors from, quote, every branch of medicine had shown (laughs) that camels were the brand most often smoked by doctors.
3: That's what you want is the the cigarette that your podiatrist chooses yeah exactly
2: (laughs) yeah i want to know yeah no nobody nobody knows what you should be smoking better than a fucking proctologist that that's that that's that's who's got it down yeah as an obstetrician
3: (laughs) (laughs) my urologist chooses winston's
2: yeah that would be quite funny boy women seem to really want a cigarette after giving birth probably good for you (laughs) (laughs) why not drink Uh, So, R.J. Reynolds uh, assured customers that this survey, which totally existed, uh, was an actual fact and not a casual claim. And their competitors were all doing the same thing. American Tobacco President George Washington Hill contracted the legendary ad executive Albert Lasker and tasked him to come up with a reason why customers should smoke his cigarettes. And I want to quote now from a write-up in the American Journal of Public Health. With no real scientific evidence to back their claims, American Tobacco insisted that the toasting process that Lucky Strike's tobacco underwent decreased throat irritation. In fact, Lucky Strike's curing process did not significantly differ from that of other brands. Related campaigns emphasized that Lucky's would help consumers, especially women, their new market, stay trim since they could reach for a Lucky instead of a Sweet. Along with these persistent health claims, a typical advertisement from 1930 boldly stated that 20679 Physicians say, Luckies are less irritating.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Great.
2: Now, James, do you want to know how they'd gotten the information that Lucky's were seen as less irritating by doctors? Uh, uh, Did they send them
3: uh, a packet of Lucky Strikes and also just (laughs) a box of asbestos? (laughs) They sure did.
2: Yeah, their advertising agency Lloyd Thomas & Logan sent cigarette cartons to physicians in 1926, 1927, and 1928 and then asked them to answer, are Lucky Strike cigarettes less irritating to tender throats than other cigarettes? And the doctors were like, yeah, I want more free cigarettes. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Why do
3: I want free cigarette box? Cool. I'll take
2: that one. Great. Good. That's how science is done. That is how science is done. Yep. Yep. Now, touting the toasting process and the accompanying cover letter, advertising executive Thomas Logan pointed out the virtues of Lucky Strikes and claimed that they had, quote, heard from a good many people that they could smoke Lucky Strikes with perfect comfort to their throats. American Tobacco used doctors' responses to this survey in order to, like, push the claim that Lucky Strikes are less irritating. Um, The toasting, as they explained, is, quote, your throat protection against irritation, against cough. Thank God. Thank God they figured out toasting. Otherwise, these yeah. cigarettes might really yeah. hurt people.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to toast them. That's how you just pop a couple of cigarettes in your toaster. Yeah, in the, in the morning. Go. And uh, yeah, no cancer for you.
2: So do self. Soft- self-reported adult uh, smoking peaked in the early 1950s at about 45% of the population. Big tobacco's ploy to buy up doctors had worked for a while, but in late 1953, the first irrefutable studies linking lung cancer to tobacco use were published, to tremendous public interest. Major peer-reviewed journal studies had tied not just cancer, but cardiac disease and serious respiratory illness to smoking. The situation was serious enough that the head executives of the Big Five tobacco companies all came together and decided. December of 1953 to figure out how to respond to this news. They picked the Plaza Hotel in New York City as the place to map out their strategy, and it is possible that no other location in the United States, including the Pentagon, has been used to make plans that ended (laughs) with a greater death toll. The master of the moment was John W. Hill, president of the biggest PR firm in the country, Hill and Knowlton. Now, John had been born in Indiana in 1890. He'd spent most of his early career working as a journalist. He's a journalist for 18 years, working his way up the ladder to become an editor and a popular columnist. In 1927, he blazed a trail that generations of soulless hacks would follow, and he decided to start a PR firm. By the time 1953 rolled around, it was the largest PR firm on the planet. Hill was worth the money, and in that hotel conference room, he laid out the bones of what would be known as Plan White Coat. The basic idea was to create an industry-sponsored research entity, a think tank of scientists funded by tobacco money, but ostensibly independent. This would allow Big Tobacco to claim they were taking fears of lung cancer seriously, while also providing them with disinformation to muddy the waters by painting the existing studies as insufficient. Amazing. I'm going to quote... Yeah, it's awesome. It's it's yeah. so good. Yeah. And no one's ever done it since. This is not the thing that's going to end all life on this planet. No, did yeah. not just build the apocalypse bomb
3: yes yeah jesus christ yeah wow they've given us everything from pokemon cards to fucking yeah. climate change it's incredible yeah, cigarettes absolutely. are amazing James. yes wow yeah, yeah. They, are, they are something
2: one of the single most important inventions in the history of the planet yeah god and, and people
3: die of starvation, you know, and here we are. We've, yeah. made, we've made a cancer stick and we've uh, we've created new and exciting
2: ways to lie about it. It's amazing. It's so mm-hmm. cool. I'm to him who can fault yeah. it. Ugh, God, what a great product. I'm mm-hmm. going to quote now from a 2012 article in the American Journal of Public Health. The industry had supported some individual research in recent years, but Hill's proposal offered the potential of a research program that would be controlled by the industry, yet promoted as independent. This was a public relations masterstroke. Hill understood that simply giving... Shape. yeah <laughs> Hill understood <laughs> that simply giving money to scientists through the National Institutes of Health or some other entity, for example, offered little opportunity to shape the public relations environment. However, often Offering funds directly to university-based scientists would enlist their support and dependence. Moreover, it would have the added benefit of making academic institutions partners with the tobacco industry in its moment of crisis. Hill and his clients had no interest... Yeah, in answer, Hill and his clients had no interest in answering a scientific question. Their goal was to maintain vigorous control over the research program, to use science in the service of public relations. Although the tobacco executives had proposed forming a cigarette information committee dedicated to defending smoking against the medical fi- findings, Hill argued aggressively for adding research to the committee's title and agenda. It is believed, he wrote, that the word research is needed in the name to give weight and added credence to the committee's statements. Hill understood that his client should be viewed as embracing science rather than dismissing it. Now, again, Hill's a journalist, right? That's part of how yeah, he's able to do yeah. this. He understands how to communicate. He understands how people read things. Um One of the first things he emphasized to the industry leaders was that they had to stop competing with each other, trying to move cartons by convincing customers that their smokes were more soothing or healthier than the others. This was bad, right? Arguing like Lucky Strikes are healthier than Marlboro's is bad for the whole industry, so we have to stop it. The key to surviving this, Hill told them, was collective action, and one that looked like a commitment to public welfare while actually doing everything possible to harm public welfare. The Tobacco Industry Research Committee was formed in 1954 and announced its existence with full-page ads in more than 400 newspapers. This ad, known as the Frank Statement, claimed that tobacco companies were deeply concerned about the welfare of their customers and would pursue any end to get to the bottom of this whole tobacco equals cancer thing. Quote, We accept an interest in people's health as a basic responsibility, paramount to every other consideration in our business. We believe the products we make are not injurious to health. We always have and always will cooperate closely with those whose task it is to safeguard the public health. That's good.
3: (laughs) Great. Yeah, sure. Very honest, very straightforward.
2: (laughs) So, despite these high-minded claims, the TIRC's agenda was laid out by Hill before he consulted a single scientist. The executive director of the organization, W.T. Hoyt, had no scientific background. His previous job had been selling ads for the Saturday Evening Post. Within his first few months of operation, Hoyt and other executives of the TIRC put out a statement directly responding to studies that purported to show a link between cigarettes and disease. It is an obligation of the Tobacco Industry Research Committee at this time to remind the public of these essential points one there is no conclusive scientific proof of a link between smoking and cancer two medical research points to many possible causes of cancer and three the millions of people who derive pleasure and satisfaction from smoking can be reassured that every scientific means will be used to get all the facts as soon as possible (laughs) great yeah Yeah, this is gonna go well james it's gonna go really well Yep, i can see it's ending well So the first scientific director appointed to the TIRC was Clarence Cook Little, an extremely prominent biologist and geneticist who had become extremely prominent because he was a popular eugenicist. Oh, good. uh, uh, Yeah. 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 Fucking magnificent. (laughs) 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 It's really funny because Cook like a little the reason he believes that cigarettes because he's a he he truly believes that the people who connect them to cancer is wrong because he believes that lung cancer is genetic so it can't be caused by an environmental factor like inhaling 4500 cigarettes a year it's got to be it's got to be something to do with the fact that certain races are more likely to get cancer oh god it is you have one thing i'll have to you got to say For a racist, this guy probably killed more white people than any other racist. Yeah, he he does drop a lot of white folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Accidentally based. Uh, well, he drops everyone else too. Yeah, true. Um, maybe not. Maybe un- unlike him, cigarettes don't discriminate. <laughs>
3: yeah. Oh dear God! They really have become a magnet for the shittest things in humanity. It is incredible yeah. how many terrible. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah. What's going to happen next? They're going to like stand with the turfs or something. <laughs> cigarettes. JK we just don't round, like queer like. people.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah. like, i tell
3: telling you, it's probably in the Harry Potter
2: book somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In 1954, the TIRC's budget was around a million dollars, nearly all of which went to Hill and Knowlton and various ads rather than actual science. But by 1963, the TIRC was giving out close to a million dollars in grants. These funded research, actual scientific research, but they picked the kind of research carefully. So we're not going to do research into what causes lung cancer, but we'll do research into how cancer develops over time and how it grows in the body and ways to fight it and stuff. Um, and this is important stuff. So they can keep coming out with these studies funded by TRC money that are real studies, but none of them happen to look into whether or not smoking <laughs> causes cancer, right? Okay, you can look at how genetics or virology impacts cancer rates. And those are important things to study, <laughs> yeah. but by picking what gets funded specifically, they are very, very purposefully yeah, yeah, yeah. drawing attention really away.
3: Putting better airbags in the no-brakes model of our car.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So this strategy worked for decades, distracting the public and lawmakers from any actions that might negatively impact the rate at which people smoked. Key to the success of this program was Hill's understanding of how journalism worked. From that Journal of Public Health article... Hill understood that the success of any public relations cam, uh, strategy was highly dependent on face-to-face interpersonal relations with important media outlets. Mm-hmm. Each time the TIRC issued a press release, the Hill and Knowlton organization would initiate a personal contact. The firm oh, systematically okay. documented the courtship of newspapers <laughs> and magazines, where it could urge balance and yeah. fairness in the industry. In these entreaties uh-huh. on behalf of the industry, the firm's staffers repeated several key themes. First, they would note that the industry completely understood its important public responsibilities. Second, they would affirm that the industry was deeply committed to investigating all of the scientific questions relevant to resolving the controversy. Third, they urged skepticism regarding statistical studies. Finally, they offered members of the media a long list of independent skeptics to consult to ensure balance in their presentations. Great. So he's also responsible for the dozens of direct
3: marketing emails I get every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Right. Now I'm personally agree for this motherfucker.
2: Yeah. Cigarettes yeah. created everything. Yes. The primary independent skeptic, of course, was the TIRC's Little. That's the eugenics guy. Yeah. Given the penchant of the press for controversy and its often naive notion of balance, these appeals were remarkably successful. Hill and Knowlton expertly broadcast their arguments, typically not based on substantive research of any kind, of a small group of skeptics as if their positions represented a dominant perspective on the medical science of the cigarette. In this sense, the public relations campaign advantage two critical pieces of mid-century media practice first journalists favored reporting on controversy second by providing (laughs) opposing positions as if they were equal they affirmed their commitment to balance yeah Uh, yeah that's right baby that's
3: right baby fuck's sake why piss off Uh uh-huh yeah no they've invented both sides in it they they, they did invent yeah. both sides in it. so they gave us donald
2: trump is what you're, yeah. what you're telling me yeah they gave great. us donald trump they gave mm-hmm. us climate change denial uh they yeah, gave they, us a fucking lot of the gun industries barry like, weiss. tactics barry weiss all of that shit comes from big tobacco yeah god they right. gave us they gave us the fucking iraq war yeah. All of these, all of these strategies are the things that like we're like they pioneered all of those strategies, and that's where we're going to end for the day, James. Um, yeah, there's. Getting, we'll, yeah, no, let's stop. <laughs> so I've become enraged. We will. We will talk in more detail about yeah. the tobacco industry later, um, but yeah, th- this is this is uh, how they. Like, there's a bigger story in kind of uh, how they kept this up as it became increasingly obvious that cigarettes caused cancer and like how they advertised to children in like the 90s and stuff and Joe Camel. There's a, a story in like how they tried to destroy the lives of people who, who blew the whistle on them, like former tobacco employees. Um, and we'll talk about all of those one day, but this, is, this is, is the story of how tobacco invented
3: everything in the modern world yeah great i feel really good about all the things that we've got yeah. from
2: it it's cool that you can tie like funko pops climate change denial and the iraq war all to trying to get people to smoke <laughs> yes yeah it's really it's really great and capitalism and yeah. that's nothing but good yeah pokemon yeah. and medical patents all all <laughs> have cigarettes to thank yeah god but,
3: uh, yeah, it's just unfathomable. It's terrible. It's fucking awful.
2: Yeah, uh, it's,
3: it's the nature of the system we live in. Maybe change it. Maybe it's the
2: nature of the system we live in, in part because of cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah.
3: great, good. Maybe, maybe consider
2: a different system.
3: Yeah, uh, maybe consider
2: uh, a system in which yeah. it's not possible to well, do this. The
3: good thing is, Robert, that none of these issues are tied to vaping, which is fine uh, yep. and totally, totally normal and good, and therefore you should just get a Fruit Loop vape
2: yeah, uh, get get a flavored vape. Um, you know, buy some of that. Uh, uh, I don't know what what else. What other what drugs do kids like to do today? Uh, get uh, some get some of that. Get uh, some, some of that tide flavored Pops. fentanyl. Tide pods. Mix mm-hmm. your fentanyl and your tide pods together, kids. Yep. Have a good one. Mm-hmm. That's so I'm doing that on uh, taking the talk right now. From what yeah. I understand.
3: B- yeah. Yeah. TikTok, another thing that the probably doesn't you go have any further, consequences. James, is there
0: anything you'd like to plug? Uh
3: apart from Tide Pods. Um, <laughs> yeah uh let me think yeah we talked about the podcast uh i've written a book it's called the popular front and the 1936 barcelona olympics you can probably find it at the library then you won't be helping to create the system which gave us you know pokemon cards and everyone having cancer uh and yeah you can find me on twitter it's just my name james like bond stat like the beer well that's all Anarchism is the other thing I always like to plug on podcasts. So maybe
2: yeah, you know,
0: Uh And we're doing a Nick Happen here live stream virtual show on October twenty sixth.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. motherfuckers. Yep. So pick up a pack of Lucky Strikes. I want to see all of you beautiful people smoking when we do our live yep. show. Just, just yep. really burn them down yeah. nothing raises the value of a house faster than smoking <laughs> cigarettes in it yeah
3: Robert. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, uh,
2: uh,
3: bring uh, go back to uh, return to tradition by sticking two cigarettes up your
2: nose and smoking them that way yeah smoke your cigarettes the traditional way
0: mm-hmm. Anyway.
2: Uh, yeah
0: bye We're done. behind the bastards is a production of cool zone media for more from cool zone media Visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
0: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
1: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. For by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity Voice remote.